Well, welcome again tonight. I want to just say, um, if you're new with us, we're glad you're here. We don't normally meet here. We meet in Beaverton High School. We're in a season of exile uh, at the end of this year. And so uh, I just want to say thank you to Doug and Parkside for hosting us and being so hospitable to share their space with us whilst we are in exile. So um, I want to say, uh, out of the gate, I love Christmas and all of the things about it. Um, it's just one of those times that it, it, it either highlights what's going well in your life or like what's not going well. So um, it's, but it's, it's just this interesting moment where as a whole culture, we have a countdown. There aren't a lot of moments in our culture where we have a collective countdown, where we wait together. But Christmas is one of those times where we just wait together. It's actually pretty interesting. Um, this collective experience of waiting. And Advent, the season we've been in, is uh, this collective anticipation of Christ's coming again to restore all things. Um, I don't know how many of you would identify as being good at waiting. Uh, do we have any hands of like, yeah, I'm a good waiter. Like, I, I, not like you get tips for giving food, but like you're good at waiting. Yeah, I don't think it comes very easily for us. In fact, one of the things that happens is as a parent or anybody who works with smaller humans, you know that you experience time differently the larger you are, right? Like the larger you are, the faster time goes. And the smaller of a human you are in terms of age, not like, you know, height, uh, the slower time seems to go. And we count time differently, right? As an adult, you think in time, time like a week or a month or years. But as kids, we tend to think in terms of shorter increments, like how many sleeps till Christmas or how many episodes until we uh, get to have dinner. Or when I'm done with this snack, can I do the next? And it's different increments of time. But waiting is hard, and, and we're not very accustomed to waiting. Part of it's because, well, we have Amazon, and we know anything can show up in two days, and that's their slow speed. You can pay for it to come quicker. And, and the next episode's going to play in three seconds, but it can play now if you push the button. <laughs> and, and so when Jesus was born, he entered into a world that was actually well accustomed to waiting, um, in fact, he entered into a time where his people, Israel, had been waiting for such a long time that they had this long memory of hope that God would one day fulfill his promise to bless the world, to restore good and his kingdom rule in the world. And, and so thousands of years had passed and the promises of God continued to hang over the imagine of Israel unfulfilled. And tonight, I, I, I want to end our Advent series rather concisely by just considering one, one more response to the arrival of Jesus. And so over Advent, we've looked at the, the responses uh, that Isaiah, the prophet from the 8th century, envisioned God's people having to this good news of, of a Savior. And so tonight, uh, we'll, we'll look at this guy, Simeon, who... Luke tells us about right after the text we just heard from our students. Um, when the time of the, the purification rites for this firstborn child in Israel uh, had come about, Mary and Joseph then brought the child to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And, uh, and this is what Luke tells us. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and 
And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah or Christ. And so this guy, Simeon, he was a righteous person, but he was also very well acquainted with waiting. Uh, It tells us that he was looking forward to something Luke calls the consolation of Israel. Consolation is a word for comfort. Uh, and so kids in the room, we, you know when you get hurt that you look for comfort, right? You, you look for somebody to come and tell you it's okay. And that's exactly what this word Luke uses means. It's the Greek word paraklesis, and it, it means deep soul comfort, soulless refuge. It's the kind of comfort that says, I will be okay in any circumstance, And so he's waiting for this consolation, this deep understanding that I'm okay. And what's interesting to me is that Luke, and not just I'm okay, our people are okay. What's interesting, though, to me is that Luke only uses this noun one other time in his account of Jesus' life. And the other time is when Jesus is preaching a sermon. It's his Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6, where where Jesus is pronouncing some blessings and woes. In other words, he's describing the kind of life we ought to prize and the kind of life we ought to pity. And he's he's talking about his upside-down kingdom, the way that God comes into the world to govern it according to his values. And he says, in that kingdom, there's this flip. The world doesn't value what the kingdom values. And so he describes the kind of life we ought to pity, but we tend to look up to, and the kind of life we ought to prize, but we tend to look down on. And so he says this. He says, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation, your paraclesis, your comfort. So is Jesus saying that having a good chunk of money in your bank account is a bad thing? No, he's not saying that. In fact, what he's saying is... um, If what's in your bank account is the thing that consoles you, if it's the thing that comforts you, that deep down tells you I'm okay and my people are okay, he says, well, then that's actually a pretty terrible comfort. I won't go with you. You can't secure it. It's actually, you should be pitied if that's your consolation because it's not much of a comfort. And so Simeon's been waiting. He's been looking forward to the time when he would behold true and lasting consolation, the kind that's been promised by God. It's the kind of consolation that comes when God keeps his word and does what he says and heals his sick world. And so Luke tells us what Simeon does. He is this person who has his eyes set on the hope that God has for his world And he says, came in the spirit into the temple. So God's spirit is leading him. He's like, I feel like I should go into the temple now. I don't know where that's coming from, but it seems like that's where I ought to be. And so he walks, comes into the temple according to being led by the spirit. When the parents of Jesus brought, brought him the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the Torah, the law of Moses. And he took him up in his arms and he blessed him and he said this. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light 
for revelation to the Gentiles and for, the, or for glory to your people Israel. It says that Jesus' father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So what is it that Simeon sees that leads him to, to respond like this? This child who is the embodiment of all that he's hoped for. Because for Simeon, there's no more sleeps till Christmas. Like, he's there. He's arrived. He's got what he has been longing for. And I would argue that he has before him what every human heart longs for ultimately. So this evening, I want to consider what we're waiting for and what we have our hopes set on, what gives us deep solace. I would say to you tonight that even though tonight's not Christmas Eve, it's Christmas Eve Eve, and it's, it's the best we have to offer as exiles from uh, our lease agreement. Uh, but uh, what I would say to you is that here on Christmas, you can find comfort and consolation if you have your eyes set on what Simeon saw. So what did he see? What did he see that was consoling to him? Uh, first, he says, I can depart in peace. That's a euphemism for I can die now. I can go to the grave with peace. According to God's word, he says, and we do live in a time of unparalleled anxiety, of what ifs. As we head into a new election year, the anxiety heads up even more. It's this amazing moment of an anxious world But God sent his son into the world so we could have peace, not anxiety. It's the kind of peace that says my life's actually at rest. I'm not amped to fix myself for the world because I'm at peace. And God's with me. So I can die now, he says. The angels, in fact, as we just heard from the the girls, the angels announced peace among those with whom God is pleased. To have peace with God is to live with a confidence that God is actually pleased with you. That's what's at the heart of peace. That there's no animosity between me and God because Jesus came to bear all the hostility that I've generated. Do you know this peace tonight? That you can behold what Simon beheld. That your peace is available in the advent of Christ. Nothing else can offer you that peace. The second thing he says is that my eyes have seen God's salvation. Whereas Jesus says, pity the one who's consoled by what they possess, their riches, they they have what they have in the present. Simeon says, I have comfort not so much by what I possess, but who I possess. To have Jesus as your peace means that you have him as your rescue, your salvation. We all are seeking some kind of validation for our existence, something that we accomplish or something that we accumulate to say, look, I belong on the planet and it's, you should praise me. And our salvation comes not by proving ourselves, but by receiving Christ. And here's what I want you to hear tonight. Simeon saw salvation as present, Uh, not a future dream. Jesus didn't come so you could go to heaven when you die, so much as he came to bring you into the sphere of his kingdom rule now. And so you can see in Christ that you already have salvation, not barely as if it's on a wing in a prayer, if you're good enough, but because he is our salvation 
If you have Christ, you have rescue. And so salvation is not this get-out-of-jail-free card, but a new life, a new life to be fully who God made you to be, to love Him and others. And the third and final thing that, that Simeon saw as ultimate comfort in this child uh, is that uh, he's waited for someone who's not merely peace and not just salvation, but understood to be light for all. See, Christmas is about the lights being turned on for the world. In a real sense, Jesus came into a dark world. In his context, he, he entered a world that was fragmented with uh, the Sadducees, the liberal left, and the Pharisees, the hyper-conservative fundamentalist right. And his world was oppressed by a Roman Empire, and there were all these mystery cult religions and immoral uh, ways to live your life, just the same as there are today. And, and he came into this divided and dark world that doesn't look that much different than our own, and, and he comes in to turn the lights on. And so the, the nations were grasping in the dark, and Israel was in exile, and he encounters us in much the same way. Not whole, but divided, grasping for meaning in the dark like the Gentiles, alienated from ourselves and our world like the, the Jews, not at home, not at rest. And so it's no comfort for us to wander around in the dark. There's no solace for our souls without God. We're made for Him. We're made to be with Him and to know Him. And apart from having His truth, we're just at best taking shots in the dark. Jesus comes to turn the lights on, to say, let me show you what it is that's killing you that you think is giving you life. Let me show you the upside-down kingdom, the life to prize and the life to pity. He comes to actually bring consolation through the truth, which is why we began tonight by just acknowledging, hey, we're in darkness, and we bring our own, and we participate in the worlds, and we need Christ to forgive and heal us, and He does. And so this is the consolation that Simeon waited for, that he saw arrive in the temple that day. That comfort was found in the peace of recognizing favor with God is found in this child who comes. That salvation is here in the present tense and that the lights have been turned on so we can have a vision of who God is as good and loving and self-giving. But the lights don't go on just by thinking about a baby in a temple. You have to recognize what that, that baby came to do and who he was, that he was the true temple in person. Simon looks at Jesus' mom and says this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. This isn't going to be an easy ride for this kid. This isn't going to be a cheap salvation. And he says this, And the sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What's that about? See, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. In other words, the God of the universe doesn't just appear simply to rule, but he comes to bear opposition. He comes so that he can reconcile us. And he rules by redeeming, by giving himself. Mary will know the sorrow of seeing God's king rejected, and it'll pierce her heart. She'll mourn over the loss of her son as just a, a, a small inkling of the father's mourning of the loss of his. And so the light 
uh, I'm sorry, what will comfort Simeon and what will comfort the rest of us who hear this story is that God doesn't just simply triumph over darkness, but God enters into darkness. He enters into it fully, and he endures our darkness to the utmost at his crucifixion. It's there on the cross, actually, where the skies are darkened, Matthew tells us. that The skies go dark because he's experiencing the forsakenness of what sin brings on the sinner. And so he endures that moment. And his mother's watching with his, her pierced heart so that he can cry out, ultimately, it is finished. He will bear away our iniquity. And so the light of Christmas, the advent of the king, is the light won not by ignoring darkness, but by Christ absorbing darkness into himself and being the light that darkness does not overcome, John says. So no matter how dark the world is, the reality of Christmas can be actually a deep solace and consolation to you because Jesus has been pierced, because Jesus has undergone the ultimate infinite darkness in our place so we can live in his infinite light. He's been unconsoled, crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me so that you can have the comfort of God? This is what the cross is about. This is what Simeon looks forward to and says, this will be what pierces your heart, Mary. And so this is why Jesus coming among us is actually consolation. It brings peace and salvation and turns the lights on. And so as we consider Simeon's response to be deeply consoled tonight and this Christmas by encountering the Christ child, I want you to just consider this evening, what is it that is your consolation? What's the place of comfort for you? You see, we, we might be consoled by the sugar rush, right? And reach for just one more treat just to fill the void or one more drink to numb the pain of the family dynamic. Or we might find ourselves consoled by the gifts that we've given to our kids to reinforce that I'm actually a good dad or a good mom. Or maybe it's as the kids, I'm comforted by the fact that there's a truckload under the tree, right? Or maybe we are consoled by the idea of a vacation that's coming and a life that's habitually without rest, by the way. Or maybe we're consoled by the plans we have for this new year. But what I would suggest to you tonight is that if your consolation is just the avoidance of pain or in some short-term excitement, which, by the way, if you remember what you got on Wednesday by Friday, like, I will be shocked. Right? We all forget and move on to the next thing. But if our plan for the next year, over which we have very little control, is our comfort, then I would say to you, Jesus would say, that's a pitiable comfort. Like, woe to you. Like, there's more, there's more comfort available at your fingertips if you will behold what Simeon did. And so, what consoles you tonight? What comforts you tonight? I have good news. It can be deep comfort. It can be solace that isn't avoidance or isn't just a short-term excitement or plans that you can't control, but it can be that you are loved deeply and profoundly by a good God who offers peace and says, I have taken all the hostility between us. You don't have to live with an existential angst. Kids, that just means you're nervous about being you. It means that God has offered you salvation 
It's not someday if you try hard enough, but today if you trust the one who gave himself to you. A God who turns the lights on in your life, but it will mean being truthful about what's dark so that he can lead you into what's truly light and freedom. I don't know if this sounds like comfort to you. For some of you, it might not. But if it does, if this sounds like consolation, then I would say to you that is the work of the Holy Spirit, the one Jesus calls the paraclete, the comforter, the one who comforts us by pointing us to the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's always the Spirit's job to bring comfort by pointing to Jesus. And so if good news sounds like good news and it sounds like comfort, that is the work of the Spirit pointing you to what's truly consoling. The Spirit's gracious and He's a host not only of comfort but of a table that we celebrate every week when we gather. He's the one who powerfully draws us to Christ. And maybe you've never trusted Jesus in this gospel message before. Um, but I would suggest to you tonight, if you find yourself drawn to trust Jesus, to say, I want him as my comfort, then let this be a moment where you come and offer a responsive trust at his table to receive and symbol what has been offered to you in reality, communion with God himself and with his people. And so we celebrate by receiving. Maybe you're experiencing just stress in the season, and it's just like, I'm done. I can't wait for the beginning of January, and we'll be done with this. That's fine. I get it. But let me just invite you to experience peace and comfort in the middle of it, because your circumstances are not your consolation but your Savior is. So I would invite you to come and just bring those places of need to the Lord at his table and say, God, I need you to speak comfort into my places of angst and tension. So will you come to the table tonight to take the bread and the cup as a response to what's offered? Allow the comfort of Christ to speak to the places in your life that need consolation. The tables are open and some friends are going to come. We're going to experience communion just a little differently tonight. You'll come and receive the bread and the cup. Uh, but we're just going to speak to you what it is that's offered. So come and receive the body of Christ given to you, and the blood of Christ shed for you. Come and sing and respond to the reality that we wait uh, for comfort, our wait for comfort is over when we behold what Simeon did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son, ultimate comfort, ultimate joy, who is our peace, who is our salvation, and who has turned the lights on to our world and our lives. God, in the middle of this Christmas season, we come to receive at the table your light and love and grace. Lord, we are overjoyed to be your people purchased by your grace and blood, renewed by your spirit and sent to bear witness to what is truly peace, comfort, and good news. Amen. Tables are open, friends. Come and enjoy the body of Christ and blood of Christ shed for you.